Hi, everybody. It's Tony Caldwell, and welcome to another uh, episode of The Uncaptive Agent, The Future of Insurance, where we're talking about what does the insurance agency system and the insurance distribution uh, business look like over the next three to five years? And today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Chris Moran. Chris is uh, President and CEO of Brand and Associates, and almost everybody in the industry knows Chris because he's a prolific author, uh, writing a, a monthly column for the Insurance Journal and many others, and has spoken widely across the industry. Chris works uh, in a, a variety of areas in, in the business, including uh, uh, marketing and selling uh, advice and consulting, but he also does a lot of work in the acquisitions and valuation space, as well as uh, something that is really useful to agents that most don't uh, think about, which is how to negotiate contingency agreements. So Chris uh, also works uh, really deeply in the financial side of the business and probably understands insurance companies and their uh, their performance, their lack of performance, their capabilities and, and, and issues uh, better than, than anyone else I've ever had the privilege to know or read. So Chris, welcome. Uh, glad to have you this morning. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for those kind words. Appreciate it. You bet. So um, you've been uh, observing the industry and working closely in it now for three decades. And um, from your perspective, with all the things that you do and the involvement that you have, uh, I, where do you see in general terms the, the business going? Is it Are, are we going to be steady as she goes, uh, similar to what we've been doing the last hundred years, or are there profound changes coming? Uh, the changes are pretty profound, Tony. Tell us, I'm sorry. Uh, so give me some idea of, of what you think the big ones are. Yeah. So historically, carriers have been driven by loss ratios. They always have to get a loss ratio to a certain number. But the driver today and the driver over the next three to five years is their expense ratio. Mm-hmm. And that expense ratio, is it is driving their decisions and it is driving their decisions and it is driving their decisions. And at the distribution level, agency level, they don't get that. If agents and their umbrella organizations do not get that, it's it, the conflict is the friction levels are too high. What do you mean by that? What, what do you mean the friction levels? Well, the carriers are pretty much looking at this as life and death. They, get, they have to get that expense ratio down to a certain level or they don't have a future. At the same time, a lot of agents and a lot of the a lot of distributors out there are pushing the expense ratios higher in a variety of ways. But a lot of times it has to do with they combine this way or that way or they're buying up a bunch of agencies. They demand extra services, extra compensation, extra whatever, but they're not delivering anything back to the carriers. Okay. The carriers are looking at it going, okay. Our expense ratio is going up and up and up. We're kind of trapped. We don't really have anything coming out of it. But if we don't decrease our expenses, we're dead. It's a real, the friction level right there is pretty intense. Yeah, you know, um, I'm uh, privileged to serve on the on an agents council for one of the larger commercial insurers. And uh, we've had some pretty frank conversations along those same lines. And part of my reaction to that has been that um, it's easy to cut compensation for agents. I mean, that's one of the places that carriers always go to when they've got an expense problem. And, and you, you're seeing some of that already, but, uh, but I, to, to your point, I, 
it, it almost sense that no one wants to go first uh, because they know they're going to take it in the uh, market share uh, backside pretty quickly. But um, obviously, agent compensation is not the only place that carriers can reduce expenses. But uh, but how do you see that? So I've studied it pretty deeply. Um, I've studied it really deeply. And it's pretty interesting. It's not the commission rate that's the driver. Okay. It really isn't. Um, it's the overall expense rate that's the driver. So there's some companies out there that actually pay pretty high commissions, but they manage themselves internally so tight that their expenses overall are still lower than normal, than average. So they figured it out that way. Then there are other carriers who maybe their internal drive isn't or internal um, expenses aren't really under control. So they don't have a choice but to cut expenses. So the solution is going to vary from one carrier to another, but it's not just about commission rates by any means. Okay. Well, that, yeah, I, I see that as well. And that's really interesting because um, obviously if one carrier takes one approach and another carrier takes a different approach, what that means for the agent uh, and agency owner is confusion because yeah. uh, you now have to uh, deal with each company individually. I was just reading, reading a, an analysis of the recently completed elections. And um, what, one of the things that uh, everyone's talking about is what happened to the Latino vote, which was different than what everyone expected. And this observer uh, made the point that, you know, what politicians are going to have to learn to do in the future is understand who they're talking to better and that there's not a Latino vote. There's about eight or 10 different subsets uh, inside that Latino vote. And every one of them has a different set of needs and interests and is, is susceptible to different political messaging. So it, it's the same thing with insurance companies, it sounds like. It is. It, it very much is. You take a, let's take, I've got a, a, a I, I consult with carriers as well. Right. And um, so I'm working with a carrier that hasn't updated their IT adequately their situation is quite different than the carrier that has already 100% completed the update of their IT systems. Their expense ratios are materially different on a go forward basis. So every carrier is different. One of the best pieces of advice I can give agents is don't treat all carriers the same. Each carrier is unique. Understand that carrier and work with them relative to their strengths and their weaknesses. Don't so I, I had a recent conversation with a senior vice president for, um, for Hartford uh, that runs their small business uh, b business and talking about a similar subject, you know, he said that, cause I asked him how are insurance companies going to evaluate uh, insurance agents in the future? How will that change? And one of the things he said really falls right in line with what you're saying, which is that, uh, carriers, and I, by that I presume he means uh, Hartford in particular, will be uh, looking at agents in terms of what it costs to do business with that agent. And the big driver of that will be how well or if at all agents use the technology that the carrier is providing. And so behind that lies some frustration around agents insisting on doing business in a way that carriers no longer can afford to do it and refusing to actually use the technology they're providing. Absolutely. Without question, there's, there's three schools that are developing in that sense, I'd say. Okay. One school is, is that there's a couple of, there's a handful of carriers 
that are very intent on doing things the old-fashioned way. They've got a model that actually might work as long as it isn't a high, doesn't migrate into being a hybrid between old-fashioned, almost paper world and high-tech. There's a hybrid world that is really in a mess right now where they're trying to do some things the old way and some things the new way. The expense ratio on that is through the roof. Then you've got the carriers that are really advanced and they are, they, they've got their technology down. Agents need to use their technology to help them continue. Otherwise it's just two heads budding like this. It's not gonna work out. So, so do you find, uh, you mentioned uh, consolidation in the, uh, in the, on the distribution side as, uh, as insurance agents continue to buy each other up and particularly the larger getting really large and making demands. So um, do you find that, that the larger agents are less likely to accommodate carriers or is it, you know, where, where does, where's the pain point for carriers? Is it the big guys or is it the little people? It's really a combination. Um, on the big side, one of the one of the publicly traded carriers put in their 10K this year. One of the threats to our entire business model is aggregation of carry of of uh, distributors buying other distributors. And we feel that I'm paraphrasing what the 10K sta- stated, but the 10K stated we are concerned that they will get so big that they can make demands of us that we can't afford. Hmm. Now it's pretty prominent to put it into a 10 K. So there's that part of it for sure. But then you've got the other part where you have shops that just won't use technology and um, the carriers, some of the better carriers are starting to measure behind the scenes. I haven't seen them actually provide the results to agents yet, but they've, the better carriers have it. And they're measuring things like what the hit ratio is. Are, is the agent just shopping every account to every carrier every time? That's way too expensive for carriers. Right. They're looking at submission quality. One of the, uh, one, a prominent national carrier has introduced into their contingency contract a clause that states, that if we determine that the quality of your submissions is subpar, we have the unilateral right to cut your contingencies. Wow, they're measuring this stuff. Wow, that's um, that I haven't I have not seen uh, that yet. That's interesting. Um, so I'm about five years ago. We had a presentation by some data analytics folks for one of the top ten carriers uh, around um, our book of business and. Uh, so we're a master agency for strategic insurance agency alliance at uh, one agency alliance have 185 agencies. And, um, you know, we have agencies of all different sizes and across a big geography. Uh, five years ago, we weren't quite as large, but still had a pretty good size book of business with this carrier. I want to say uh, we're looking at personal lines. It was about a $25 million book of business with maybe 100 uh, points of distribution. And what they were able to do five years ago was really fascinating because they could tell us based on things like submission rate, retention rates, the loss ratio, the book of business mix, and a variety of other factors, uh, a lot about every one of those distribution points uh, in terms of what they expected to see for the next three three to five years in terms of overall volume, growth, retention rate, and profitability. 
And based on that, then wanted to have conversation about a number of those folks about, you know, whether they wanted to continue to do business with them or not, not because they were underperforming at that moment, but because of what they expected the underperformance to be over the next three or four years. And uh, that was, uh, they'd had similar conversations, they said, with other organizations around the country, most of whom uh, didn't appreciate it very much. I was fascinated by that. Yeah. and it just told me that, okay, there's, there's a coming day in which the data sophistication, the ability to not just gather the data, but to analyze it and draw conclusions from it is going to be at a, at a level that we can't even imagine today. So this is really, I guess, what you're saying is actually coming to pass or coming quickly to pass on a much broader basis right now. Yeah, it's, you know, I think one of the biggest cultural changes from uh, agents' perspective is, is that most agents that have been in the business more than 10 years grew up thinking that their job, one of their jobs was to manage loss ratios for their carriers. Right. Right. The cultural shift is that's really not the job of the agent any longer within reason. The job is bring something to the table that enables the carrier to operate at a lower expense ratio. Um, Most of the carriers with whom I'm working have said pretty pretty straightforward, if distributors can decrease our expense ratio enough, we're willing to share some of the extra gains, but we need a net decrease. So there's a real opportunity from that perspective, but that's the focus. So, um, you know, this fits in um, with a uh, column that you wrote I think last year in the insurance journal where you made the point that direct writing companies, I don't mean direct writers, but Geico progressive people, direct response carriers were getting much better results than agency force carriers to their bottom line. Not just because they were cutting out agent commissions, which is a significant expense item, obviously, but their underwriting results were better without agents than uh, carriers were experiencing with agents, which you made the point that that really undermines one of the agent's traditional uh, calling cards, which is that, hey, we, we write a good book of business for you. We do it better than you could do it yourself because of our field underwriting expertise. And really, your point was that doesn't exist anymore or isn't existing. Uh, so if that's not the case, so it, and that just fits right in with the loss ratio points you're making today, how, what are the levers that agents need to pull uh, in order to lower expense ratios for their carriers? What are the things that carriers in particular are looking at aside from uh, using their systems? Yeah, using their systems is big, but really very basically in where we have perfect alignment between the carriers and the agencies is higher hit ratios and better quality submissions. Agents that have better hit ratios, better quality submissions, they make more money. They have a higher growth rate too. And the carriers with whom they really focus their business, they end up with higher growth rates and a lower expense rate as well. So we have perfect alignment right there. And that's, those are simple to address. We don't have to rejig, you know, we don't have to buy a bunch of technology. We just have to have a, a more disciplined approach. So, so let's, with, with that in mind, let, let's shift our conversation to talk about operations of agencies because this is a, um, this is a, a protracted endemic problem that we've seen for many, many years. You know, around 15, 20 years ago, when you got 
uh, particularly in personal insurance, when the multi-company rating systems came out, and then you began to have a big movement of direct writers, uh, former direct writers, into the independent agency ranks. And at the same time, uh, the, the direct writing companies began to really not uh, be as fond of writing personal insurance as they used to, as they used to be. So that there was a, an increase in market share coming into the independent agency channel. But all of that market share growth was predicated on price competition, not based on putting the business in the right places. And so uh, we now see that, you know, we have a whole generation of insurance agents, and this is trans, it's made its way into small commercial for sure, if not into middle market, um, who are really price focused as opposed to some other marketing value base for their, for their company, for their, uh, for their customers and clients. So it seems like what has to happen for agents to get aligned with insurance companies is they've got to break a generation's worth of bad habits. How do they do that? That's a, that's an awesome, awesome, awesome question. Um, you know, how do you break bad habits is, as starts with the leadership. The leadership of the organization has to instill, this is the way we're going to do it going forward and then have the discipline to force people to, to follow their lead. Otherwise, as you well know, um, we're not, it's not gonna work. Producers will do what producers do. Account managers will do what account managers do. Um, I'm having quite a bit of success with it. some of my clients right now who have the leadership and they've instilled that discipline and it's the funniest, absolutely the funniest thing in the world that happens. They will have success or certain producers will start having success. Their sales will go up. The quality of relationship that they have with their clients increases dramatically. And then, and then they will go, wow, huh, this works. Okay. And it's just, having the leadership and stick-to-itiveness enough to see it through long enough to right. see that it works. So, uh, yeah, any, any change requires courage. Um, and, and so that really is the fundamental here is making a commitment, as you said, and then having the courage to see it through. One of the things I wonder about and in, in, in the agencies that you've worked with, do they also use compensation as a lever themselves. So, you know, my observation is that in most smaller agencies, let's say under a million dollars of, of revenue for certain, that a, that those agencies overpay their producers. Um, you know, they, they pay more than they should. And when you look at the comparison to say larger agencies who figured this out, this is, a, a, you know, it's very obvious. Um, but one of the things technology lets an agent do today is pay different commission rates by carrier, line of business, or any other metric they want to set into their system. So, are your clients changing up, uh, you know, with the carrot and stick on commission rates to reinforce that behavior, or are they just doing it through having pep talks every week? No, it's discipline. It's basically the the simplest way to do it for any agency out there, regardless of size, regardless of IT system, is to insert a clause in the producer contract that says, if you don't follow our procedures, you don't get paid. Hmm. Okay. Very basic easy to monitor, easy to manage. Okay. And I guess you do the same thing in, in customer service agents or customer service representatives contracts as well, because often they're the ones making those decisions, not the producer. Right. It's a little bit more difficult there because of our labor law perspectives. Um, it's a little, it's a lot more challenging, honestly, but there's other ways of doing it there. 
for sure. The other thing though that you're bringing up that I, I'd like to insert here, Tony, is, is the use of agency management systems. Agencies, regardless of which agency management system they use, are not making use of the full capabilities of these systems. Right. They are leaving money on the table because they don't do it. They are leaving opportunity on the table and they're increasing their expen internal expenses by not using those systems really well. And that goes for big agencies and small. Yeah, I'm actually working on an article right now for a, another a magazine on that very point. And, and my, my working thesis is that agents that don't master their agency management system within the next five years won't be in business. I totally agree. We have got, this industry has gotten away with not using their systems very well forever, but there's not that room, there's not the wiggle room left anymore from not only an expense perspective, but I did a um, E&O podcast last week. I think it's going to be released today um, on um, the wave of E&O that's expected out of COVID. Uh-huh. Also, because of these, a lot of the direct writers that have come into the um, independent agency space, right. they don't know and they don't understand that the standard of care is so much higher for E&O purposes. And if you're not using your systems well, it makes it really hard to defend yourself in an E&O claim. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think actually this is an opportunity for a clarion call to the professionalism in the industry, but that I think is not being made or and certainly not being heated. And it's not just the direct writer. It's not just the new commercial lines producer here. You know, I, I worked on a, another uh, thought piece a while back about, you know, how we really failed um, the national economy with the way we've sold business interruption coverage. I mean, the fact that that there were so many people who were genuinely surprised that they had no coverage for COVID is an indictment of agents because, you know, it's very clear it was an issue before. That's why there's a, there was a, uh, an ISO uh, exclusion for, uh, for viruses and bacteria that was created because this is a previous problem that had already risen its head one other time. So why weren't agents talking about it? I think it's because most agents, um, let me say it like this. Many agents don't even understand how business interruption coverage works uh, themselves. They don't really pay a lot of attention to the forms. They're just selling. Again, if you're selling on price instead of, you know, actually to me, business interruption is one of the places that an agent can really distinguish themselves in terms of their ability to serve your client because there's so many things that you can do with that policy that are different than, say, the rest of property coverage. Now, property coverage, you can pick three different forms and you can maybe make a couple other tweaks. There's not much else you can do selling, you know, products for five or six carriers. But with business interruption coverage, there's an unlimited number of ways you can write that policy to serve your client. And agents just routinely fail to do the technical uh, professional work. Yeah, totally. We, in my E&O audits, and also I have a, a, an educational program, a different business for uh, coverages. We find exactly the same thing in that education program when we do business income. Almost nobody understands it. I mean, yeah. probably 90% of all the people in both sides do not understand it. In fact, you know, I've talked to agents for many years. You know, I started my book of business focusing on workers' compensation because that was a, a, point, a pain point for almost everybody that most agents didn't want to mess with. 
And so it was an opportunity. Uh, and then you go after the rest of the business. I think if I were a new producer starting today, I would go after business interruption because I think I could drive a wedge between every agent and almost every client in America. Yeah, I, I, I think if you want to use the a wedge concept, business income is the simplest. You got to know what you're doing. You got to put the time in to understand what you're doing. Yeah. But almost every policy out there is written inadequately. Um, I'll tell you another part about this, why it's such a big deal. Um, so I've, you mentioned earlier, I'm a business appraiser. So I have to do continuing ed for business appraisal world as well as insurance world. The business appraisal world is, has identified that agents and carriers are not writing business income correctly and potentially not adjusting business income claims correctly. So that the, the business appraisal world has embarked on an educational program where they're educating hundreds and hundreds of potential expert witnesses for the plaintiff by and large. And these are really smart people. These are accountants, these are attorneys, these are business appraisers. They're learning business income coverage at a far deeper level mm. than producers and agency owners and account managers. I mean, wow. way deeper. So yet, yet another threat to insurance agency owners. So, you know, if I could summarize where we are right now, it's that here are the threats coming. Uh, insurance agencies are slicing and dicing their data with greater precision and drawing conclusions from that about who they want to represent them, which threatens uh, agents uh, either from a representational uh, capability point of view or perhaps with income and what they do or don't receive going forward. Uh, mm -hmm. And then agencies are going to be faced with increasing demands for professionalism going forward, forced on them by third parties. Uh, and obviously, another threat that is ongoing for many agencies in an area that you know a lot about is the, the, the threats and opportunities that are coming about because of the uh, continued uh, acquisition of, of agencies. Uh, you know, two things I was thinking about. One is that I had a recent conversation with someone involved in the business who said that really the big middle of independent agency system is being hollowed out. So you've got a lot of agencies getting really huge and again, making these demands of carriers as a consequence of that. Um, you know, at the same time, you have a lot of new agencies getting started in part because of the problems that the direct writing companies have vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the uh, independent agency companies, which are actually driven a lot by their they have an even bigger cost problem, I think, than, than, uh, than independent agency companies. So you have, but that's one of the drivers. Another driver is that people are going to work for these big companies because they got bought out. They don't like the bureaucracy of starting their own agency. Uh, you wrote an article last year, I think, about, the, uh, about insurance companies have really missed the mark. They, they've been focusing on helping people uh, perpetuate agencies. That was, you know, kind of a traditional agency carrier uh, thing instead of focusing on starting or helping people make the transition to starting their own business. They were missing an opportunity. Yeah. So um, how do you see both uh, what carriers demands are right now, which is they've got to cut costs, the hollowing out of the business because of the, you know, the consequences of this acquisition boom that's been going on seemingly seeming forever. Um, and then the, the, the technology that agents can use to do things like driving wedges that I talked about just a minute ago. So with all that in mind, um, 
what what does the business look like five years from now? There's 35,000-ish agencies today. Do we have 35,000 five years from now because more got created as they got bought up? Uh, does that uh, does that slow down uh, this, this pace of movement from the captive ranks to the independent ranks and the startup of agencies, uh, you know, or does it continue a pace and we have 50,000 agencies? I mean, where do, where do you see all that happening? I think the hollowing out is a really good point. There's a hollowing out that's occurred. And I, I'm not sure that the hollow will get filled in. Um, I really, I, I don't see that coming back, that middle coming back like it was. I think one of the keys is SIAA, honestly, is SIAA has done the best job of anybody I know of helping create startup agencies. Um, just a phenomenal job. It's been a, in, if you look at just the pure numbers, SIA has been almost a savior in that sense to the industry. So as long as SIA has its model and there's some other people trying to copy it, I think that the future is very good for startup agencies. And I think we'll keep seeing startup agencies for all of the different reasons that you listed. And it just seems like Every agency that gets bought out, there's one that starts up from scratch. Whatever reasons, it's kind of bizarre in my world. Um, but what's changed is this, is going forward, even those small agencies are going to have to operate much more efficiently with systems than the, the startup agencies from even three, four, five years ago. It, I think this won't work otherwise. And that's the, that's the point where I'm not real sure how those agencies are going to go forward. SIA is bringing a lot of great tools to the table for them. Some of them are trying to do it on their own or with some other organizations, they don't have those tools. And I, just, I think the friction may just be too much. So what does that mean then? That the, if an agency doesn't start up and doesn't develop the technological sophistication fairly rapidly, they they just go out of business or they become, you know, increasingly marginalized. They're just going to be marginalized. Yeah. And, you know, I've got some clients that are startups, <clears throat> man, they use technology better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's startup and not affordable or whatever. It's a mindset part more than anything else. Um, so I want to make that clear to everybody. It's not a money issue. It's, it's a mindset issue. That's Thank the difference. You. So, you know, with this hollowing out that's taking place, obviously, you know, the big acquirers, they looked for five and $10 million revenue shops. Now they're looking for two and a half million dollar revenue shops. It won't be long before they're buying million dollar revenue shops because they bought everybody else at the upper end. Um, so, uh, but, but where is the practical limit from your perspective? So, so if you're a 70 year old, uh, insurance agency owner uh, and you've got a six or $700,000 revenue agency, you've had a great life. You've raised a family and you know, you've done great things in your community for 35, 40 years. It's time for you to go. Cause you, you don't want to make all these changes. Right. Uh, and, and obviously there's a huge cohort of those folks in, in our business because uh, you know, I think all the statistics show that a majority of people are age eligible to retire over the next five years. So if you're that guy, uh, do you wait till uh, the ABC publicly traded or PE backed company gets desperate enough to buy you or 
do you, you know, is there a role to play, uh, you know, with local uh, agents buying each other? How does that going to, is it going to keep doing what it's doing right now? Is it change? Well, if you're, if you're 70 and you're starting to think it's time, you should sell now. You should, because if you wait another five years, it's probably not going to work out as well for you on a lot of different levels. So you should start working that process one way or the other. Um, if you're 70 and you're, you're still loving coming to work and you're not slowing down whatsoever, then keep going. But if you're starting to think about slowing down, um, it really is better. I, it, it, it's going to get tougher and lots of things can start going wrong. It's just better. It really is. Um, that hollowing out part is interesting. Um, there's a if you want to sell to somebody local, there's a million local buyers, other agency owners that will do the deal in a heartbeat for the right agency. I had a call already this morning. That's what they're looking for. So not a problem. But where, what's the practical limit was your other part of that question. If I remember, if I heard you correctly, and that's like the billion dollar question. Nobody knows what the limit right now is for how big private equity can become in the insurance distribution world. There are a lot of rumors out there that certain shops have already got become too big and that's become a problem for them. I don't know if the rumors are right, wrong and different. We also, one of the things that I think is probably going to happen in 2021 is that I think you're going to see some of these shops, some of these aggregators that have done a lot of buyouts are going to have to get real about actually improving operations and assimilating operations throughout the whole, all of the agencies that they've purchased, that they've let just run as they were in the past. That's pretty expensive. The ENO exposure is really high. Based on what I'm seeing from the third quarter publicly traded broker calls and some other information, maybe the EBITDA, the pressure to meet the EBITDA margins is so high now that they can no longer allow the freedom to do whatever they were doing. And um, I get, I feel very strongly that we're going to see some big changes along those lines. And that's going to shrink their ability to buy because a lot of sellers are going to say, well, if you're going to force me to do things a certain corporate way, the corporate way, I'm not selling to you. So I think we, I think we're going to see some changes in a lot of different angles in 2021, starting in 2021. Well, so obviously the PE players, uh, along with, I mean, the, the public brokers have been arbitraging their stock forever to create the money to buy, buy companies. PE guys have come in, uh, you know, because they've got a lot of money to deploy looking for a return. And, um, you know, but those private equity uh, companies and hedge funds, I mean, they, they have a three to five year hold period anyway. So looking five years out, um, you would think typically they would be looking to unload all those assets anyway. And we're going to do this all over again. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, and, and it's unlikely that interest rates stay this low forever. They may stay low for five years. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what do you think the agency valuation uh, looks like? I mean, right now we're seeing, 
anywhere from 11. I, we had a, an, eight, an agency transact at uh, 16 uh, in, in April. So, I mean, it's crazy. The valuations, if you think about it in nominal terms, is that going to continue or is it going to fall off over the next three to five years? It goes back to the, where we began the discussion, and that is, is how are the carriers going to go about cutting their expense ratios? If the carriers cut their expense ratios through lower agency compensation, then the agencies are worthless. It, it's really black and white. It's pretty simple. Okay. So, regardless, uh, regardless of anything else, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of anything else. Um, the PE part, they're one of the publicly traded brokers, vice president of mergers acquisitions in 2019 made a public statement and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't, I don't remember it exactly. But he said something to the effect of, we have to continue paying high prices for new agencies so we can afford to pay for the agencies we already bought. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine who's in, in the M&A side of the business says, you know, buyers have to buy. Uh, and so there becomes this cycle. Exactly right. You, you've got to keep propping yourself up. And, and in fact, I think if you look at some of the national uh, stock market traded brokers, that's really been their business model for years. Arbitrage their stocks. So they can buy the business, and then don't worry about organic growth, uh, but that forces you in a constant cycle of having to acquire, and the inventory is running out. Yep. Uh, it's like musical chairs. Uh, That's what somebody else said, was this is musical chairs, and I just hope I'm not the last buyer out there. There's one other important point, though, that's, that's um, kind of an academic point, but it's really important. One of the reasons that... Um, the prices that are being paid are so high right now has mm -hmm. to do with changing accounting rules. Okay. That occurred, I'd like to say about 10 years ago. I'm not sure exactly when. Right now, as we're recording this, there is a tremendous, and I mean very tremendous debate occurring um, throughout the United States um, as to whether that accounting rule should be revised or repealed. And there are a lot of really loud voices on both sides of this accounting rule. If that accounting rule is repealed, much less depending on if it's revised in some meaningful way, you may very well see a reduction in agency prices for that alone. Okay. So that be something most people don't know about, but it's, it, is a, it is a true driver. Well, it's just another reason if, you know, if you're closer to the end of your career than the beginning and you were thinking that selling to a third party is your exit, that maybe, you know, you, you sooner rather than later is your time frame. Um, you know, one other thing that's interesting, uh, again, a really smart uh, friend in the, in the business, he, he and I had a conversation earlier in the year about the fact from his perspective, prices are not actually as high as they appear to be. They, they appear to be high on a nominal basis. But he said, if you look, go back to 2008, look at six and a half percent attack, you know, interest rates compared to two and a half, three percent, you factor in all the, you know, through all the complicated math he was using, uh, that really they're about the same. So even though there appear to be really high uh, transaction numbers, what the seller ends up with isn't a whole lot different. Do you see it the same way? Not quite. I would they're elevated numbers right now. And one of the differences in the math goes to the accounting rule. That okay. I was talking about. That change in the accounting rule 
allows for the net income to be that is shown on the buyer's income statements to be higher, materially higher now. If that accounting rule was changed back to what it was before, you would absolutely categorically see a decrease in buyer's net income. Okay. So it's no longer, so they, they can't do deals that are accretive to, to income and value nearly as easily. So that's not it. as easy. And it, and it really has to do a lot with that, without a particular accounting rule. So um, the future for independent agents is that uh, if you're thinking uh, that three to five years is your horizon, the sooner rather than later. But at the same time, I would, I would assume that if there are fewer agents, uh, particularly fewer entrepreneurial agents in a community, this hollowing out, I think, uh, hasn't gotten the attention that it really deserves because it really represents an enormous opportunity from my perspective for agents that are, you know, earlier in the curve of building their careers because uh, when those guys leave, they don't keep, you know, the, the buyer doesn't keep all the business and there's plenty of opportunities to pick it off. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would seem to me that relatively younger agents actually have because they, they're more technologically savvy, so they're more likely to fit in with carriers' needs regarding costs that you talked about earlier. Uh, they're aggressive marketers, and there's a lot of business on the streets because people are retiring and turning over. Not to mention the third fact is that now over half of all businesses in America are owned by millennial or younger business owners or aligned with those folks as the older guys are selling out and leaving. It, it, it seems to me that, um, and if you factor in then one other technology, technology piece that's really coming to the fore just in the last nine months, which is the rise of Zoom and the ability to make geography irrelevant um, from the standpoint of marketing, selling, and, and having relationships with people, that those three or four factors mean there's a bigger opportunity for young, ambitious, entrepreneurial agency owners than maybe there's been in a generation or so. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'd like to add one other ingredient to that. And that is, is in my experience with people of that age group, they are more concerned with actually bringing true value to their clients than the generation that came before them. I find not obviously across the board, but almost across the board, they want to actually learn coverages more so than the prior generation did. Mm -hmm. They want to get away from that raider that you mentioned earlier. Right. They want to really understand the coverages and bring that va true value to the clients. And I think that if you're going to fill that hollow, hollowed out space, that is the way that it has to be done because it's not going to be filled in by selling price. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with that. So um, let's come back to the, the carriers and their problems because I want to just, there's a part of that that we haven't touched on. I'd like to touch on, um, you know, if carriers have a cost problem. And as you said earlier, it, 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 the cost problem depends upon their business model or their evolving business model to some degree. But it, it, it does seem to me that, that it's pretty obvious who some of the winners are likely to be and who some of the losers are likely to be, but that there's going to be winners and losers among the carrier ranks because if carriers are struggling today to um, make money and build surplus to be able to afford to simplify and, and redo their systems. I mean, I talked to the president of the personal lines division of uh, one of the largest companies in America a couple of years ago, and he was struggling with the fact that he had 300 legacy systems 
in that part of their business. Yeah. You know, and there were com- com- competitors arriving that had one system that was built, you know, uh, on business rules and not on COBOL uh, programming. Right. You know, and so so the, the, the cost to stay a competitive uh, fr- from that perspective is so enormous that a bunch of companies aren't going to be able to make it. Uh, right. And so that either forces them to sell or merge, or in some cases, go out of business. So I'm curious, over the next five years or so, do you see the rate of, of default uh, in the in the carrier ranks increasing? Uh, do you see the rate of, of mergers and acquisitions on, among carriers increasing? And what are the implications for agents in terms of carrier picking? In other words, um, you know, you can't do business with everybody, at least not yet. And so who you pick to partner with has really important long-term repercussions to your agency, I think. So how do you see all that working out? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of parts to that. So what yeah, are the way- I love multi-part questions. I don't, I don't <laughs> sorry. So one of the factors there is, is that one of the ways the carriers are going to beat back aggregators is by buying other carriers and increasing their leverage from that perspective. Categorically, that's going to happen. Number two is is that um, I've talked to a number of smaller carrier CEOs, and they all tell me the same thing. What keeps me awake at night is that I can't afford to upgrade my IT systems. And if I can't afford it, I have no future. So what's plan B? I mean, there's nobody's even brought up to me anything else that keeps them awake at night. That's it. Um, so we're going to have that. Another factor that builds into it is, is that um, 90 ca- we have about 900 PNC carriers in the United States. And I'm not talking about all the pop companies. Right. There's, you know, 3,000 of them. But 900 major carriers um, at the group level. And um, 90 of them, or 90 of them, write uh, 90% of all the business. Mm-hmm. So we have 810 other carriers fighting over 10% of the business. That is a nonsensical industry. There's just, that that makes no sense to have 810 carriers fighting over 10% of the market. That has no future. Another factor that's developed in the last 36 months, I'd say, is, is that we have two carriers who combined are writing about $10 billion of net new a year. Put that into perspective, $10 billion of net new between two carriers. There's only about 14 companies out of 1900 that even have 10 billion. Right. So those two carriers are putting a bunch of other carriers out of business in the sense of it's a death by a thousand cuts. Right. So, we so at a distri- distributor level, picking the right partners, especially if you're younger and you're building for the future, that's a really important point you're making. It's a critical point that you're making. So something like fifty-five to sixty percent of all agencies belong to some sort of aggregation group, and you've been using aggregator in term uh, to describe. Um, the PE funded acquirers and the, and, and the uh, alphabet houses, but really there's a different meaning to that 
a word in our business, which is the people that, you know, uh, began as clusters and then an aggregation of some form of their business model, including SIAA, for example. So, uh, but it seems to me that agents are reacting to this, um, to this compensation struggle, uh, which is reflecting itself in what they get paid to some degree, as well as um, probably in the back of many agents' minds, uh, hey, I need to be sure I'm aligned with the carriers that do survive. And so I need to be in a bigger boat from that standpoint. And so so agents have continued to, to join aggregation organizations for, for that reason, as well as just pure compensation. Um, but now there is, uh, you know, 20 years ago, there was just, a, you know, other than local uh, groups, there weren't really any national groups, but now there's a, a boatload of those. Yeah. Uh, lots of people jump into that business. Uh, there's so many of them, in fact, that they've been challenged in their own business models. Uh, and it, there's, there's been an effort for the last two to three years to aggregate aggregators, mm-hmm. um, which tells me that really fundamentally, between agents and carriers, this it's like a transmission or a linkage, if you will, um, but it's got a few loose bolts in it, uh, and and that there's in the next three to five years trouble coming um, for a lot of aggregation organizations because of all the things we've talked about, as well as their members uh, who, you know, could become collateral damage from from all that. So. Uh, curious what you think about that part of the business and what happens. Yeah, so some people some people accuse me of playing all sides because I consult with carriers and aggregators and consolidators and regular agencies, right? But it gives me a pretty good picture from the inside, right? And when I work with carriers, they're pretty they're pretty interesting. They'll say, you know, whatever. We're also good in this industry of using the same word for multiple different scenarios like aggregator. We just expect the listeners to, to know what we mean. Right. Um, so aggregator in the sense of where you put a bunch of agencies together, but you continue to have individual ownership of assets. The carriers will say, this aggregator brings value because they either bring organic growth or they bring a lower distribution cost. Even though we pay them more, they're efficient enough that it cuts our cost. Or they'll say to the, about this carrier, we hate their guts. We would like to see them rotten hell. They're that blunt sometimes with me. Yeah. And that's because those kinds are not bringing either organic growth or a lower cost. What they're bringing is zero organic growth or worse because the members that are joining are dead in the water agents anyway. And they're right. trying to find a place to hide. They're not bringing any value to the table. Right. And there's this mindset that carriers need more volume. I've got news for everybody out there. Carriers don't need more volume. <laughs> Nobody needs more volume, especially in the market today. What they need is a higher organic growth rate, but not more volume. Right. So if the aggregator is based on volume, there's not a lot of future there. It's not going to work. If it's based on higher organic growth and or lower distribution costs, that's the future. They will survive. They will win. You know, 20 something years ago, a buddy of mine uh, told me uh, we were having a chat about about growth. And he said, you know, I don't care 
if my top line grows. I only care if my bottom line grows. And everybody in my organization is incentivized to do that. One of the problems, and, and you know, agents, though, we, we have an orientation towards new business. And whether you measure it as premium or commission dollars, everyone's always talking about, and, and carriers measure you on, the, on this new business that you're creating at the top line. Yeah. Uh, and so very little focus on the growth of the bottom line, which is really where a business person should put their attention. And so, you know, I think if I could sum up our whole conversation is that carriers are of necessity increasingly going to be focused on the bottom line impact that agents bring to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, it, it'll be interesting to see how those discussions change and also the information that they provide to agents, because I mean, frankly, I mean, we're getting ready to start, uh, you know, lots of planning discussions over the next month or so. And um, I have yet to, to have a planning session with a carrier, uh, even on $50 million books of business, where they talk about, here's your bottom line impact. And here's what we want to see happen to that. Now, you, you talk about the constituent parts, but it's still left to your imagination as the agent as to what all that means. So it does seem to me that greater transparency between carriers and agents is necessary. Uh, or uh, folks like yourself, who, as you said before, see everybody's underwear, need to be more, you know, are going to get a lot busier because you're going to be helping people understand each other. I think that's one of the values that I actually bring to both parties is to help them with that transparency, because there's a real reluctance to become more transparent, even if at the carrier level, even if the people, the executives see the importance of it, man, that reluctance is probably going to override the decision. Yeah. Well, so certainly one thing I'm taking away from our conversation about the future of insurance distribution is that, uh, you know, it's like the old saw, you know, you, you may live in interesting times. Is that a blessing or a curse? Uh, it's probably both depending on who you are, but, um, but we're certainly in interesting times. And, the, and as we started off the conversation, it sure looks like the next three to five years are going to find us in a different, different business, really, than we're in today. Uh, and so the secret to success is to be open-minded, nimble, and really talking to your partners and being responsive to that if you want to have a future. Or... Uh, get out now while the multiples are high and there's lots of people chasing. Yeah, I think that's, those are good words of advice. And I'd like to share, I, I'm pretty excited about where the industry is. I think right now is just such a phenomenally good time to bring high value to the clients. Line coverage is explain business income. Um, and I think, I think we have a better opportunity than we've had in 20, 30 years to really deliver value to the clients and be paid well in return. I really believe that on my heart. Well, you know what, in that sense, your, your um, conclusion, if you will, is the same as mine. And interestingly, it's the same as everyone I've spoken to, which is that for independent insurance agency owners and independent insurance agents, uh, the, the best is in front of us, not behind us. Yeah. Um, and I'm tremendously excited about that and anxious to see how it all turns out uh, and looking forward to being a part of it. So, and I know you are as well. Any last thoughts uh, before we wrap up? No, thank you very much for the opportunity. I was looking over at your book and if anybody hasn't read it, they should. It's a good book. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, um, I, uh, 
I found in my father, my, my father's effects when he uh, passed away, a book that was titled Everything He Knew About the Record Business. He'd been in the record business in the 40s and 50s, uh, you know, by, by Bill Caldwell. And, and I was so excited to find that my father had written a book. And, uh, and then I opened it. And as I began, all the pages were blank. <laughs> Somebody had given it to him as a, you know, as a, as a gag gift. And, uh, but I think that is every book author's greatest fear is that no matter if you fill a book up with words, it, it has about that much impact. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I hope, I hope uh, Uncaptive Agent is more useful than that, but uh, uh, because I'm scared to death uh, that I've written a book, you know, that's a sequel to my dad's. <laughs> I hope people will, will enjoy it. Good. Hey, Chris, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being with me. And uh, let's do it again. All right. Sounds good, Tony. Thank all you. Right. Take care. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at tonycaldwell.net slash contact.